All right. Mountains in Matthew, Damon, I was telling you about this. Uh, one of the ways to trace Jesus' movements is through the mountains that he climbs, that he ascends in the Gospel of Ma- Matthew. I wanted to bookend the Gospel of Matthew, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we started last week with the Beatitudes, um, with the blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. Um, we talked about this kind of definition of blessed. It's not just the white bread word that Christians get so used to using. It's a dynamic gift. It's a new reality. It's a challenge to live in that new reality, this reality that God is on your side, that God is with you. Um, God is with those who are hurting, through those who are poor, through those who have lost, through those who are struggling. God is on your side. The disposition, this was from Frederick Bruner, and he says, Jesus begins not with, in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins not with demands, but with blessings. Uh, this already tells us something about Jesus. He blesses before he commands. He helps before he orders. The disposition at the start of the sermon, and I, we're going to counterweight that in a little bit. Um, but it's, it's, it's this beautiful image of blessing and help and grace um, before anything else is said. And then the direction, again, the Beatitudes are start with um, kind of someone on their knees. I actually had it up here this morning, if you remember my drawings. It was someone on their knees um, crying out for help from God. And then it was somebody kind of extending that help to others. And then, again, it ends in persecution, um, being persecuted for Christ, for righteousness. And you're kind of back on your knees or on your back. So... That is the the recap. The sermon is online if anybody wants to go listen to it, um, but you can catch that um, if, if you missed that last week. So that's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and then we're going to come to the other bookend of the Sermon on the Mount. What I'm going to do is I'm going to show six images, and I'm going to give you five seconds, and then I'm going to call on somebody, and you're going to say the first thing that comes to mind when you see this picture, okay? So this is going to kind of be like rapid-fire What comes to mind when you see this picture? All right. Here we go. Here's the first one. No, 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 no. This isn't shout out. This isn't shout out time. This is you keep your opinions to yourself. And when I call on you, then you're allowed to talk. Somebody's listening online thinking like, man, that guy's rude. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So just think about it for a second. I want to call on you. I want to just give you a second to like process it. I'll call on you and then. You can say it, but Damon, I do appreciate the enthusiasm. <laughs> It'll be there. Damon, what is what comes to mind? Uh, just like someone said, LA traffic. LA traffic. Donna. Two miles an hour. Two miles an hour, great. Uh, Mark. Bad traffic. Bad traffic. Um, we've all been in something like that. Just, just kind of sitting there in a freeway that has forty lanes and there's still too much traffic, right? Okay, here's the next one. Five seconds, then I'll call on somebody. Dustin? Isan? Nature Beauty. You said your name was Jack? I am ashamed. I am ashamed. I mean, I'm not even in the right half of the alphabet, my man. <laughs> Goodness gracious. You started talking about your little baby niece, and I got all excited, and I got all the names all confused. 
All right. Paul, what comes to mind? Peaceful. Peaceful. Yeah, that's cool. All right, here we go. Mark, what comes to mind since you're already shouting out over there? Good. Brian? Bolivia. Bolivia? Oh, that's cool. Robin? Columbia. Yeah. Windy? Plums. Plums? <laughs> Ashley? Sparse. Sparse? All right, we got two more. Two more. Bojangles? Tornado warning. Tornado warning? All right. Brian? A painting? Okay. All right, last one. And if anybody, I won't call on anybody. If anybody just wants to, this is a shout out. Huh? Devastation. Yeah, good. Disaster. Solid porch. Good. Structurally sound. Uh, you know, and, and I don't know if this was obvious, but we're going to, like I said, I want to bookend these. Uh, Jesus talks about, at the end of the Sermon of the Mount, um, he talks about the wide and the narrow road, right? He talks about the tree that is fruitful and the tree that is not fruitful. He talks about the house that's built on rock during the storms and the house that's built on sand during the storms. So if you've got a Bible, let's go read this passage. Matthew 7, 13 through 29. And we'll read it in the round as we've done. So um, choose a verse or two um, and then just read it, throw it out there. Enter through the narrow gate. Well, Robin's getting on it early. He's not even messing around. People are still flipping pages. She's just going right for it. Everybody there?
not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority not as their teachers of the law. So these are the images that this uh, sermon gives. And again, what I would say at the beginning here is that Jesus' sermon, the Beatitudes, begins uh, with unqualified tenderness. Blessings for those who are in need, who are on their knees, who are desperate. The Beatitudes are all about good news for people in bad situations, right? But here's what's interesting, is that Jesus concludes his sermon with unqualified toughness. Not simply a list of intellectual options or suggestions for you to take or leave depending on your mood or your philosophy. Jesus kind of warns us strictly a few times, at least three or four times here at the end of his sermon. And it's interesting because usually when you go hear a sermon, you know, a sermon kind of ends with that like, and you can do it, and you're great, and here's the three points to becoming the best person you can be, right? Jesus ends the most important sermon ever given with sobering warnings, right? Three images, three pictures of unqualified toughness, right? Um, Let me just say three things about this, and then I'm actually going to talk about these these three images. Um, So before, let me just kind of give three, I guess, qualifying statements as we think about these uh, warnings as a whole. So again, the first thing I would say here is that the ending isn't happy, right? It's not a happy ending. Um, This world's greatest sermon, it ends not with consolation and comfort and security, but it ends with this sober warning. Jesus really, um, I I think that we would might use a phrase that he puts us on notice, right? And we've kind of probably heard that phrase used before. Jesus kind of stares and he says, Here's your notice, right? Here's your warning about what's going to happen to you if you don't put these words of mine in practice. And this is how Jesus ends his sermon, right? Jesus doesn't end his sermon with like, and by the way, you're terrific and you're wonderful and you're exceptional and you can do it. He gives us some sobering warnings about what happens, what life is like if we do not put his words into practice. Oftentimes we get to the end you know, specifically about the house built on sand or built on rock. We get to the end and we kind of read it as if you put your trust in Jesus, if you kind of build your house on the rock, then you'll have security and you'll have everything will be wonderful. And we read it as a way to kind of relieve anxiety or concern. But the warnings that Jesus is giving us should motivate us 
to start working on his sermon that he's given in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, right? These warnings should arm us against hindrances, procrastination, apathy, and this pick-and-choose type of Christianity, right? The ending is not a happy ending. It's a sobering warning. The ending is tricky. I was reading these words this week, and often I found, especially that middle section about the... the um, about the tree and the fruit and the false prophets and, and the sheep, the wolf in sheep's clothing. And I'll get to this in a little bit. But I was, I was kind of pushing back on it. I was questioning it. Um, I was confused. I, there was even a kind of part where I was like, I don't want to say I was playing devil's advocate with the Bible because that kind of sounds a little weird. But, you know, you kind of had those moments like, well, what do you mean by this? And, but if you do this, how, how can you, you know, and I was kind of like, I was kind of confused by some of it. And I think that that's kind of part of the point of what Jesus wants to do is he wants to create enough tension, enough self-examination to keep us motivated, to keep us looking back into it, to keep us back into the scripture, examining and saying, hey, what is this thing all about? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to live? Because so he gives us this ending, which isn't, again, just here is like, hey, A, B, and C, and you're wonderful. It's a little bit tricky, right? And then I would say this too, the last thing about it before we get into it, this ending has a direction, right? The two gates separate disciples of Jesus from the world. Jesus says that there's these two gates, there's the wide gate, um, and then there's the narrow gate, there's these kind of two different gates. Um, And so you have these, Jesus separating his disciples from the world, right? My disciples will, will take the narrow gate, they'll take the narrow path, right? And then it kind of refines it a little bit more. And he says that there's two trees. He also uses a sheep metaphor in here that separates the disciples of Jesus from false prophets, right? So kind of he refines, say, from the world to Christians. And then he goes into Christianity. He says, well, even in Christianity, you're going to have, you know, people who bear good fruit. And then you're going to have these false prophets, right? And then even within that, then you kind of, Jesus refines it a little bit more. And he says that there's two houses and the houses almost kind of separate, I almost look at it as like, it separates me from me, right? What really am I building my house on when the storms come, right? So the direction is that Jesus is almost kind of refining or kind of, you know, kind of really pruning, like who really wants to be my follower? Who really wants to go all in with me, right? And this is his warning that he gives us. Um, so this whole movement, um, this is the thing, it's, it's, the ending isn't happy, the ending is tricky, and the ending has a direction. Now let's look at these three pictures. And let me say this before we get into these three pictures. Um, you know, and I've said this before, and I'll, I'll say it again, and I want to say it in a fresh way this, this week. Um, that commentary that I've been using by Frederick Bruner um, has been so helpful for me. It's been so inspirational for me. If you want to read, like, four to ten pages on one verse of the Bible, go pick it up. And it's just, I love his commentary, and I just want to give him credit. I was talking to a friend of mine this week, and there was a, he was going to this church in Irvine. The pastor was just plagiarizing sermons. Like, he was just finding sermons online and just plagiarizing, just reading them kind of word for word. It's, it's a Yes, it's not, it's not something you want to do. I don't know if it's illegal, but it's not, you know, you're not going to get arrested. But, yeah, it's not something you want to do. And um, I just, I just want to be up front and give credit to where credit's due. Like I said, Bruner has influenced me so much in these sermons, and I'll quote him as necessary. 
Um, but yeah, it was just kind of this interesting, like, I just want to make sure that I'm giving credit to where credit's due. Does that make sense? Because that was, like, I, I don't know if I had heard that before, or maybe I'd heard that and just think, like, no, nah, that doesn't happen. But it does happen, and it fractured the church. And that my friend had left the church, and people had left the church because this pastor was just going on, I don't know, Sermon Spice or whatever it is. And, you know, there is ser- there's Sermon Spice, and there's... Um, desperate pastor and there's I mean there's like these weird websites you can just go find a sermon and here it is ready to go um sermon central whatever it is and he was just lifting them just here just download it download it to your yeah this is this is what it is we we us pastors live in a strange bizarre land so um so anyway credit or credits do um if you like I said if you want to go in the deep end Bruner will give you 30 pages on these, these few verses for you to go enjoy. Uh, so here we go. The first picture. The, picture, the first picture is the, the picture of the gate and the two roads. The two gates and the two roads, right? Um, and this picture, again, as Jesus kind of starts it, it's almost a picture of salvation, right? It's, it's kind of a choice. Um, and you have here two things that are happening. You have the gate almost as the decision, right? That somebody would choose this gate and that they would walk through this gate. And then you have the road that you continue on as I would call it the devotion, right? That you are devoted to whatever way you choose to walk. So there's, you know, again, Jesus says that you will walk through the gate and then you will walk on the road. There's kind of this twofold choice in it. And it's kind of highlighted here in verse 14 where at the very end, it says, you know, few will find it, right? And when, when you read, somebody read 14 for me. Everybody got that in front of them? Uh, it says, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Yeah, only a few find it. And so it's kind of got this finality, almost this like, hey, you're going to find it, and you're going to walk through it, and you're good. Again, Bruner points out that really the way that it should have been phrased there is finding the way how few are finding the way. Bruner says, it's a present tense verb that underlines the daily decisions to find this gate and decide every day to follow him, right? Anybody, when they wake up in the morning, kind of wake up with a sense of like, all right, Lord, I got a new shot today. I'm going to get a new chance today. Let's go do this thing together. Anybody ever do that when they kind of wake up? They're kind of getting groggy and they're, Eyes are opening and you're kind of laying in bed and you're like, okay, Lord, let's, let's make another run out of today. You know what I mean? I feel like that's what Jesus is getting at here when he talks about that gate. It's, again, as, as Bruner says, it's that daily decision to find the gate, to open that gate and say, Jesus, I want to open that gate. I want to walk down that road, that narrow path with you, right, to follow you. And you contrast that with the wide gate or the broad road. Um, some of the commentators, the broad road is whatever pleases you. Imagine living with that as your North Star. Whatever pleases you, right? If it feels good, you go do it, right? That's the broad road. Schlatter says, when you do what the majority does, you destroy your life, right? When you do what the majority does, you destroy your life. So Jesus gives us this imagery of the wide road, right? The broad road, the wide gate, the narrow road, the narrow gate. 
I'll, I'll tell you how I think that, I'll give you two of my own personal metaphors for this. Some of the, and let me nerd out for just a second. Some of the greatest races that happen, because cycling's just started, the season's just kind of get started, happens in Europe, right? Part of the reasons why the cycling is so exciting in Europe is because the roads in Europe, and if you've been there, are often a lot narrower than the roads that we have here, right? The, the big races that happen in the United States are in California, Colorado, and Utah. And we just have these 15-lane highways that, you know, they, the racers. And what happens is, is when you kind of pack all these racers in and these riders in on these narrow roads, it makes positioning very important. It makes kind of the way that you move in and out very important. It just makes the, the racing a lot more exciting than here's actually a picture when they did the tour of California and Long Beach, and you're kind of riding down these wide open roads. And you can see, I know it's a little hard to see, but here's the pack of riders right here. And um, they just have like all this room on either side of the road, right? Compared to this, they're pretty much taking up the whole narrow road right here, right? And what happens with the, the kind of narrow racing that you experience in Europe is it, again, it just kind of packs everything in. It's, it's where the racing becomes exciting and, and fascinating. And everybody, you know, you got to watch like, hey, this guy's trying to get here and this guy's trying to get here. Um, now, if I lost you on that, like, you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You're cycling, you dork. It's, it's similar to if basketball would be played on a football field, right? How boring would it be to watch basketball being played on a football field? You know what I'm talking about, Damon? It'd take you three minutes just to dribble the ball up the court, right? And you're, you know, walking the ball up the court and you finally get up there and then you got to launch a pass like this to the guy across and you know what I'm saying? It, basketball just works better because it has that, those narrow parameters. Let me give you one more example. Um, if you go down to Main Street in Huntington Beach, we all love going down to Main Street in Huntington Beach, or, or not, <laughs> right? One of the differences, say, between Main Street, right? Here's Main Street. We've all been there, right? We've all been to Main Street. And say some of these side, these side streets, um, one of the main differences is that on the, the main streets, right, you kind of get the corporate, the chain, the neutered restaurants. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's big rent, it's big spaces, it's big budgets. And so, you know, you have the big ones here, you have the BJ's, and you have the IHOPs, and you have the Fred's Mexican Cantinas, right? And just the kind of places that are like, eh. But what happens is, is when you get onto the side streets, onto those little narrow side streets, right? To me, that's where you find the restaurants with soul, right? The restaurants with love, the mom and pops, the places that like... So you get... I don't think some of them are on here. There's that little Mexican restaurant called Pete's. Anybody ever been to Pete's Mexican restaurant right there? Um, you, there's a great little acai bowl place called Bonsai Bowl right off of Main Street. Um, you get... And I know that it's, it's on Main Street, but it's kind of off Main Street... Jan's Health Bar. Anybody ever been to Jan's Health Bar on Main Street? So for me, there's just this different life on those kind of narrow roads away from the crowds, right? When you get into the broad and the big, it just, it just again, if you want, what Schlatter says, if you want to destroy your life, just follow the crowds. Um, this commentator, Bernard, says, the dominant idea in this, in this piece is this. In order to enter life, it's necessary to make a personal choice no longer to follow the anonymous crowds, but on the contrary, to find 
and follow the Christ. Jesus' first warning, and we've kind of talked about it in a variety of different ways. What road, what gate are you going to choose? Right? Do you want to go follow the crowds? Do you want to stay on the main and the broad roads? Do you want to live that kind of a life? Or will you find the gate and walk down that narrow road with me? It's the first warning he gives us. Right? So, he gives that warning. The next warning he gives us is the two trees. He also kind of uses a sheep and a wolf metaphor. And this one was the one that was tricky um, for me because it created a lot of anxiety, right? And here's what it created. How do you know who's real or not, right? How do you know? Um, For example, I asked myself, am I a wolf in sheep's clothing, right? And there is a just, I mean, I spent months not months, hours doing that Photoshop right there of just, so, but you, you ask yourself that. Is that me? Jesus, are you, t- I mean, if, and if you're not asking yourself that, then you should probably have, we have another sermon for that. But you have to ask, is that me? Am I really just a wolf in sheep's clothing? We had John Rittenhouse come a couple weeks ago from Living Springs. Is that guy a wolf in sheep's clothing? When Pentecostal Micah comes and all his charismatic stuff, is he a wolf? Dallas Willard, who I quote, Frederick Bruner, who I quote. Like, you kind of like start thinking, like, who's real? Who's the real deal? How do I know if they're the real deal? How do I know if I'm following somebody? And honestly, uh, this was the passage that I was kind of having this dialogue with God and pushing back and asking these questions. And you feel a little bit helpless. I felt a little bit helpless when I read this, right? But then when you read in this passage, here's what Jesus says in this passage twice, right? He says, in verse 16, he says this, by their fruit, you will recognize them, right? In verse 20, he says this, thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them, right? So as I read that, and you begin to think like, again, Jesus says it twice, that there is going to be something obvious about these people that you will be able to recognize, right? So you're kind of like thinking like, well, who is it? And does it mean... And Jesus says, well, there's something about their fruit that you'll be able to recognize, right? You'll be, it, it'll be clear. And fruit here isn't just random actions, but it is the course and tenor of someone's life. And it takes a while to see this. How often does fruit come on a tree? More or less. Once a year. Often you would have to kind of follow or observe or look at somebody's life over a year or two. And you'd have to say, is that real fruit that they're producing? Is the fruit that they're producing good fruit? Is it? Is it, you know, or is it sickly fruit, right? And you have to follow somebody for a while and kind of know, like, hey, what fruit are they producing? Here's a couple questions to ask. And I would, I, I would say this, too. I would encourage you guys to ask these questions about me as your shepherd, right? These are questions that you should be internally saying, hey, what about this? Or if there's another pastor you like to listen to or a podcast or a YouTube series, or, a, or an author, or a book, ask, try and ask these questions. So here's a couple questions. How do these people invite and receive feedback or criticism? Right? If you have feedback or criticism from me, do I respond to you, or does this person respond to you with defensiveness? Do they attack you back? Oh, you think that about me? Well, let me tell you something about you. You need to do this, and you, right? 
do I just, you know, does this person just sink into depression? Oh man, that person said this about me. And I, you know, is it passive aggressive? How does the, the shepherd, how does the person lead? How do they invite and receive feedback or criticism? The second question is, how did this person examine their lives? What interior work do you see them doing? And does that make a difference? Does their life make you desire a deeper relationship with Christ? Does it point to kingdom living, right? So these are questions as you, again, whoever happens to be shepherding your soul, whether it's me or another pastor, a podcaster, a book, an author, whatever it is, these are good questions just to kind of reflect on as you think about that person, right? What kind of what kind of fruit are they really producing? How, do you, how can you tell if they're real or not? Ask those questions. The second thing that, um, and Bruner points this out too, I think that this is really important, is because Jesus keeps referring to fruit, and he says, by their fruit you'll notice him. The question then is, what is the fruit of the Sermon on the Mount, right? What fruit do you see in the Sermon on the Mount? And again, this is just, this insight from Bruner is you should just go buy the book so you can read this over and over again. He says, the fruits Jesus commands in his Sermon on the Mount are less sensational and more simple, right? The sensational ones, prophecy, healing, speaking in tongues, right? Casting out demons. He says, the fruits Jesus commands in his Sermon on the Mount are less sensational and more simple. How about this? How about the fruit of revering Scripture's commandments, casting out one's anger, the miracles of sexual purity and marital fidelity, the careful speech that, is, that does not misuse God's name by oaths or careless speech, and most deeply, the heart that extends itself to persecutors and enemies, right? So Bruner says, and I would agree with him, if you want to know what kind of produ- fruit someone's producing, right, one of the great dangers of the Christian community is that we are seduced by the success of the sensational, Right? You have the people who are out there doing the sensational ministry, right? Look at the prophecies. Look at the miracles. Look at the exorcism. And we're like, oh, wow, that person must really be knowing Jesus and doing the Jesus things, right? And we fail to overlook the faithfulness of the ordinary, the humble, and the grounded. The fruit that Jesus talks about in his sermon, right? Again, go back to Bruner. Casting out anger, right? Miracles of sexual purity and marital fidelity careful speech that does not misuse God's name by oaths or other careless speech. The heart that extends itself even to persecutors and enemies. So, um, this is, again, this kind of middle passage. Jesus warns us about that. You have to do that work. You have to be careful. You have to be insightful. You have to be wise. Um, I know that the word judgment is one of those words. Well, we can't judge. Don't judge anyone. Um, We have this permission within the Christian community to look at one another and say, what kind of fruit is this person producing? And is it good fruit? Right? And we need to be wise and careful about that. Otherwise, you just, again, you can be seduced by the success of the sensational. And just look at, oh, wow, that person does this and that. And you miss out the faithfulness of the ordinary. That's Jesus' second warning. Again, he's warning us about those within the community who want to lead. Right? The last warning that he gives us is that there's two houses, okay? Two houses. There is not one person in this room, 
There is not one person in this world who is not building a house, a life, a career, a family, a legacy, a faith, a name. And here's the thing. There is a foundation that we all are building on, something we believe um, it is, something we believe is true, stable, worthy, and life-giving. Nobody sitting here is thinking to themselves, man, I'm going to build my name, my house, my family, my legacy on lies, on, um, on, um, yeah, I just, I just lost my train of thought there. You know what I'm saying? We all, what, what we think that we're building our lives on, we think that it's good, right? Nobody says like, hey, I'm just going to build my life yeah, I'm just going to be an angry, irritable, frustrated, greedy, jealous. Nobody consciously thinks that, right? They, everybody in this room, everybody in this world thinks that they're building their house on something that you believe is true, stable, worthy, and life-giving. But here's what's interesting about this, because there's two levels that this happened, right? It's this invitation and this warning to trust Jesus and his foundation— right? But again, we said that Jesus is refining this kind of almost within us or within the Christian community. And here's what I mean by that. This isn't about disciples of Jesus versus the world, right? Look at those people out in the world building their lives on their career, their houses on their career, their legacies on their career. Look at those people out there in the world building their houses on their, on their eternal youth, looking young forever, right? Look at those people out there in the world building their houses on being the perfect family, having the, the most toys, whatever, right? Here's what it's about. Both house builders are listening to Jesus. It's not about them out there building their houses on greed, ambition, power, status, versus us in here building our houses on Jesus, right? He's, Bruno says this, the house that crashes is the house of the Christian sitting in this room who finds Jesus' words important enough to hear but not realistic enough to live by. Right? This last warning is about every single person sitting in this room. Right? We are both, every single person in this room, listening to the words of Jesus, but do you find them important enough to you find them, hey, I should go to church. I should go, you know, listen to the pastor. I should listen to that sermon. But there is no further step in action. You don't live by the words of the sermon. That's why Jesus says in this last part, right, which my main man Paul wrote, read, not wrote. I'm getting ahead of myself, right? <clears throat> Jesus says, verse 24, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. The first step is listening, right? You just have to listen. We just have to engage Jesus' words. You just have to go read his Sermon on the Mount. You just have to listen to what he has to say to us, right? But he says, you have to listen to those words and then you have to live by them. You have to put them in to practice. It's just not good enough to come sit here on Sunday morning and just listen to the words of Jesus. You got to put them into practice. So here's how this works for me. You get home this afternoon from church and you're a little bit zonked out, you're a little bit tired, and you open up your phone, you open up your computer, you go on your smart TV, 
and you're like, I just need to unwind for a little bit. So you go on YouTube and you just search stand-up comedy, right? And you go maybe listen to Jim Gaffigan or Ron White. He was, was that the Redneck Comedy Tour? What was that, guys? Right? I, I don't know if I know the other, the other two, Andy Woodhull or Patrice O'Neill, right? But you just kind of go onto YouTube and you just kind of zone out. Anybody out there? Right? You know what I'm talking about? And you just kind of listen to whatever they're saying, and you just kind of giggle or you laugh, and then you just kind of like, okay, I'm done with that. Time to move on, right? Now, say you get home from church this afternoon, and um, you realize that you have an electrical outlet that is no longer working, right? And you think to yourself, I'm going to fix this thing. And so you go onto YouTube and you search up how to repair an electrical outlet. And there's this brilliant 14-minute video by Mr. Cass Bensberg on how to repair an old electrical outlet, right? Or you get home and you have a giant backup generator that you need to move. And so this is how to put a Generac generator, 22-kilowatt standby generator system and put into place. Anybody ever seen these videos? No? You've seen him? Yeah, so, you know, his son um, does a lot of these videos, and his son, has anybody ever seen his son's videos? His son, um, Chris, who, who actually just moved into um, their old house, he's like, oh, you got to go watch this. This is like one of the mindless ones that you can go home and watch. Um, he's a dumpster diver, and he makes YouTube videos about all the treasures that he finds in the dumpsters. It's brilliant, and it's, it's semi-entertaining for about 10 it's entertaining for about 10 to 15 minutes, and you kind of watch, and you kind of get the idea, like, oh, okay. But he produces these excellent YouTube videos about dumpster diving, and then he's, you know, kind of made these videos with his dad, too, these kind of how-to, like up here it says, you know, how to replace an old electrical outlet, or, um, again, how to lift a generic, I think that's how you say it, I think that's a brand, generac, generac, generator, so he makes these how-to videos. Now I say this because here's, here's, here's the application back to the, to the Bible, right? When you watch the comedy videos, you're just there to kind of like listen, zone out, whatever. Okay, I'm going to take my nap, right? When you watch a how-to video, an instructional video on YouTube, you watch it in such a way that you know you're going to have to do that action. Your faucet's broken. How do I fix my faucet? You're interpreting the information because you know that I'm going to have to go to my faucet. I'm going to have to follow the instructions on the video to hopefully repair my faucet. How do I change oil in my car? How do I fix my brakes? When you watch an instructional video, so to speak, on YouTube, you watch it in a different way as to know that you're going to have to repair or fix or do something, right? When Jesus gives us this last warning, he says, I want you to listen Because at one point, you're going to have to put these words into action. Jesus says that the storms will come, right? It's not like, hey, maybe you're going to get through life with just um, rainbows or just sunshine and sunsets, right? Just smiles and everything's going to be wonderful and perfect. Jesus says that the storms will come. And in this moment, what will your life be? have been built on. I, I know that, you know, I'm a young, younger guy. I'm 39. I don't have a ton of life experience, right? I, I know that. I feel like I've lived 
and observed life long enough to know that I've seen a lot of people listen to Jesus' words like he was a stand-up comic. Like he was a late night talk show host that we just kind of sit there and say, oh, that's nice that he talked about that and that's kind of funny and he said that. And I've seen what happens then when the storms come and they haven't taken Jesus' words and listened to them and acted on them. And when the storm comes, that original picture, right, with the nice porch, everything's gone. And all you have left is a porch and half a roof, right? And it just gets wiped out. And Jesus gives us these words. He gives us these warnings, and he points us back to his sermon on the mount. And he says, will you go and study and live and listen and engage in that sermon, in my words, in my life? Will you build your life on that? That's the question and the warning that he, that he gives us. Okay, I think that's enough for you all this morning. Um, questions? The praise, the problems, the pushback, things you agreed with, um, things that you would question, and then the pushback, if you want to play devil's advocate with my sermon, I do respect that. Um, what warning was most challenging to you? Okay, the two roads, um, the, the two trees or the sheep and the wolf clothing, um, the, um, the two houses. Uh, what pushback or questioning did you have for Jesus regarding his warnings? Um, Maybe you could share a different broad, narrow road metaphor. Um, I kind of use a cycling one. I used the main street one. I use the football and the basketball one. If something else comes to your mind as you think about, you know, it just not working. Where do you see Christians attracted to the sensational, the spectacular, the exciting? Um, what part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount do you want to put into action? Yeah? Take a few minutes and discuss those.